We're going to jump into part two, the second part of our series on prayer, which I, again, I simply entitled Pray. Gets the point across, right? If you're confused about what the sermon is about, um, talk to me afterwards. We'll have a quick conversation. Pray. Started last week and uh, agreed that prayer is important. Um, in fact, if you, if you had to survey people around the country, even people who aren't believers or aren't Christians don't attend church, even, even those people would say, yeah, yeah, I think prayer is important. Yeah, I pray. And, and there are surveys and studies that have been done that, that, that uh, show that. But in the life of the believer, it's not just important, it's essential. <coughs> prayer is essential. We, we can't go without prayer. And we need to develop our prayer life. I used the analogy last week, and I'll, I'll keep referring to this throughout this series, which, by the way, will take us all the way up to Easter. Um, I talked about our wood stove in Anchorage. Uh, the house that we, we owned in Anchorage had this wood stove in it. That's the very one right there, a Quadrifier 2000. And it was an amazing wood stove, and it kept our house warm. Uh, my mother-in-law is actually visiting from Anchorage. Uh, she's with us, so welcome to you. Uh, make sure to give her a hug. I just, I just singled you out because I get to do that because I'm the pastor and you're my mother-in-law. Um, and by the way, I, I, I mentioned someone, yeah, my in-laws are coming. And they're like, ooh, the in-, no, I, lo- I love my, my in-laws. My, my mother-in-law is amazing and it's always fun to have her visit with us. But um, so back to Anchorage where it is cold and they are using these right now, unlike here where our winter is not quite so cold. Um, a wood stove only works if you build a fire in it. If there's no fire built in there, it's just a big honking piece of metal in the corner of your living room. It's a place to put flower pots. It only works if there's a fire. And it only is really effective, not if there's just a little fire. It takes time to, to, to stoke that fire and get it heated up so that, that that stove is burning hot. And when that thing was, was cooking, when it was going strong, it would heat our entire house. It would heat our entire house. In fact, it would be 80 degrees in the top of our house, even though it would be negative 15 outside. It was, it was very effective. It's the same way in the life of the believer. Our, our lives and our effectiveness of our prayer only happens when we stoke that fire, when we keep that fire going, when we keep it lit and we keep adding logs to it. Last week, I pulled out a big log and I, I tried to light it with a lighter and it didn't work. It didn't work. The only time a big log like that is going gonna, is gonna to be consumed is when it's thrown into a fire that's already burning strong. And sometimes we bring our requests to the Lord and we have these big logs in our life. But because there's been no consistent prayer in our lives, it feels like sometimes we're trying to light a log with a lighter. God says, cultivate your prayer life. Paul says it this way, pray without ceasing. What he's saying is stoke the fire of your prayer life. James says this, says that effective prayer, the, 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 the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective in James 5, 5.16. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I, I've been in church all my life, and I've heard that verse quoted over and over and over and over and over again. And we like the powerful and effective part, right? right? I'm all about powerful and effective. Come on. I want to be powerful and effective. We skip over the righteous part. There's a caveat, the prayer of a righteous man and a righteous woman is powerful and effective, which implies the prayer, for the prayer of someone who is not righteous is what? Is weak and ineffective. 
Well, I'm under the blood. I'm, I'm, I'm forgiven. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven, right? And we, we use excuses, and God says, no, I'm calling you to a higher standard. And righteousness, yes, I see you, I declare you as righteous, but I'm calling you to live in a way that is righteous as well. And, and you, you can all attest to this. I won't have you raise your hand. I'll raise my hand. I've been a Christian since I was five years old, but I know there are many, many and plenty of places in my life where I don't live righteously, where I've let the things of the world come in and affect my walk with the Lord, and so I live this divided life. We've all been there. We've all walked through that. The prayer of a righteous man and a righteous woman is powerful and effective. So before we can delve into prayer and praying for those people out there and praying for situations and praying for countries and praying for nations and praying for revival, what we have to do is pray for ourselves first. See, effective prayer starts on the inside. It starts on the, the inside of this furnace, this stove, this temple, where God wants to do a work in us before he does a work through us. So we started last week talking about David's prayer found in Psalm 139 where he prays, search me, search me, O God, search me. A dangerous prayer, not a safe prayer to pray, not a, not a safe prayer at all. But I want to tell you this morning, we're actually going to jump into a prayer that's even less safe. It's all more risky. See, because God, when I pray, search me, he might reveal things to me. And you know what I could do at that point? Let's go, I'll just pretend I didn't see that. But this next prayer you can't get around. This next prayer, it's actually another prayer of David, but it's found all throughout Scripture. This morning we're going to talk about praying this prayer. Break me. Break me. We go from search me to break me. Not a safe prayer. And some of you are thinking right now, if I snuck out to the back door right now, would anyone notice? Yes, we would. No, I'm just kidding. Not, not a popular prayer, not something you hear preached a lot. I maybe in my, my lifetime have heard a handful of times pastor preach about this prayer, break me. Yet I believe if we, don't get, if we don't come to this place where we allow God to break us, we will remain powerless and ineffective. And there's no getting around it. I can say, search me, God, and he can show me stuff. But when I pray, break me, it's an invitation to God to step into my life and meddle, to mess around with the inner workings of who I am. And when you pray that prayer, I guarantee you, <laughs> he answers. So let me stop for a second and ask you a question. Anyone ever done a remodel project on a house? <laughs> yeah, there's the awkward, oh gosh. <laughs> um, when I was in high school, we had just moved to the, this country. My parents were, we, we were involved in all kinds of little business ventures. My, my dad's always been a small business owner. For most of my life, he was a business owner. And uh, so we got to America, and we're like, we're, let's, so we, we bought a restaurant. I don't know what we were thinking. And we thought, oh, let's get into the home remodeling business. And so I, would, I had just graduated, and my, my dad and my mom and I started a home remodeling business. And we were going to flip houses. Now, this is before, like, HGTV, was, you know, all of that. It wasn't as popular, but we had a friend who had done it, and we, we had this statement, how hard could it be? How hard could it be? 
right? We're we're handy. My dad's handy. I grew up around tools. I'm pretty handy. And how hard could it be? So we found a little house in Olympia, Washington. We thought, we're going to remodel this house and flip it and make some money. Six months later, not so much. If you've ever done a remodeling project, you know that it doesn't always go as planned. Well, it never goes as planned, right? It's not easy they always cost more than initially thought. They say if you're going to do remodel, whatever your budget is, add 25%, and it's probably still not enough money. It always takes longer, right? Still doing it. It's still going. And they're messy. Remodels are messy. We remodeled our kitchen, the same house where that wood stove was. We remodeled that, the, the kitchen in that house, and for quite a few months, our refrigerator was in our living room. And we were cooking on a camp stove. And um, yeah, it's messy. But here's the thing about remodels. You can't install new appliances and new countertops and new windows until you've done one critical thing. Demolition. You actually have to get the old stuff out first. You have to remove walls and and doors and windows and flooring and ceiling and what depending on the scope my my neighbor right now jumped into doing a kitchen remodel in his house and uh i just keep popping in i'm like hey matt how's it going how are you doing how things you know and of course i i have ulterior motives because i want to really lead this guy to the lord and i'm praying for him but i figure if i can help him with his remodel maybe it'll give me a door to and so i've been in there all the time plus i just love remodels i'm like i i rent a house so i can't really do anything. Man, and it gets messy. And part of the kitchen's in the living room, and there's stuff in the backyard, and there's dumpsters in the driveway. But you can't install the new stuff until the old stuff is gone. This morning, I believe God wants to do a demolition work in our lives. The prayer, break me, is an invitation to the Lord to come in and demo some stuff that doesn't belong. And you know what's funny? We can get attached to old stuff. Anyone get attached, right? There's things that you're just like, why, why haven't I thrown that away? I just threw some stuff out of my garage that my wife has been asking me to throw away. Check this out. I've had it since we lived in an apartment in Santa Fe Springs. Then it moved to a house in Santa Fe Springs. Then it made it into a shipping container, went all the way to Alaska, was in two different places, in two different homes in Alaska, made it back into a U-Haul trailer, came all the way back to California, was in a storage unit for some time, ended up in our garage in Rancho Santa Margarita, came to, De- to, to Glendora. I was in Downey for a while at my parents' house, then came to Glendora to end up in the trash. I've got a problem. <laughs> it was some little rubber inflatable tires from, that you could get at Harbor Freight for like eight bucks. <laughs> and they didn't hold air anymore. <laughs> right? We get attached to stuff. And we don't want to let go even though we know it needs to go. We get attached. And God says, I want to remove some stuff for your life, but... You know, God is this perfect gentleman. He doesn't force his way in. He says, hey, yeah, that thing, that needs to go. Okay, Lord, yes. No, that, I'm still, but he's not going to reach in and rip it out of our lives. He's going to wait till we say, God, would you take this? And he says, absolutely, I've been waiting for you. 
to ask. You can't do a remodel unless you do demolition. And as you start demoing, what you find is there's hidden things. There's little surprises. That the house in Washington, there were tons of surprises. You pull a wall down. Oh, surprise. The electrical has to be completely replaced. You go into the kitchen. You pull the cabinets out. Oh, surprise. All of the plumbing is rusted out. You have to... Re- and what becomes a quick flip, ends, was supposed to be a quick flip, ends up being a floor-up remodel. I won't even tell you about the roofing project. Just imagine roofing, Washington, rain. You can fill in the rest. How hard could this be? Yeah, we come to our relationship with the Lord and like, hey, I got this. How hard could this be? I just, you know, I just need to go to church maybe a couple times a month and listen to K-Love on the radio, right? Because thank you, Jesus, while I'm driving down the road, which is, is good. And, and how hard could it be? God says, no, 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 you don't understand. This is hard, which is why you need me. And seeing your walk with the Lord will be as hard as you want it to be. And there's an invitation here for things to go deeper, but it will cost you. But can I just tell you, the result is phenomenal. When we got down with our kitchen in Anchorage, I mean, if you want to see pictures sometime, I'd love to show you. We stepped back, we looked at that kitchen, and it was, it was nice. It was nice. And it came in under budget, so that was kind of cool, too. It was nice. Man, it took a long time to get there. Sometimes we get in a hurry. And we want God to do things quickly or easy, easily and just say, hey, God, could you just, could you just do this? How many of us pray that all the time? God, could you just do this? And God's like, he's like, I could just do this, but you can't just do this. There's a process here. Lord, break me. I'm going to read Psalm 51. I was going to read one verse out of Psalm 51, and I was reading the whole chapter. I thought, we've got to read the whole thing. It's not going to be on the screen, because what I want you to do is actually listen. I'm going to give you a little bit of context about what's happening here. This is a Psalm of David. Sometimes we think about the Psalms have been just, ah, oh, just praise. But a lot of the Psalms are painful written it out of a place in, in David and the other psalmist's lives where they were struggling, where they were under attack, where they were broken. Psalm 51 is a psalm of brokenness. See, what's happened is that David, after committing adultery with Bathsheba and then finding out she was pregnant and then trying to arrange a situation where her husband Uriah would come back from battle where David should have been in the first place, arranges a situation and finds out that Uriah is a more righteous man than he is. And he says, why would I go in and sleep with my wife when all my troops are up on the front line? I'll sleep at the door of my house. David sends him back to the battle, arranges for Uriah to be put into the fiercest part of the fighting and basically guarantees that he will die. He murders Uriah over his sexual desire. He saw a woman that he wanted and he went after it. And here's the thing, David thought he got away with it. He thought he was in the clear. Now remember, this is a man after God's own heart. This is David. This isn't Saul. This is David. And he thought he got away with it. Right up until the prophet Nathan comes up into his 
chambers before the throne and he confronts him on his sin in front of everyone. And David, King David, victorious David, slaying his tens of thousands, David, is a broken man. And he writes this psalm in that brokenness. Listen. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I, would, uh, or I would give it. You would not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight. Uh, then will you de delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. That's powerful. And maybe you maybe you've heard parts of that that psalm quoted. Certain verses created me a clean heart. We sing a song. Realize that it was sung out of a place of absolute brokenness. He refers to the to the, uh, the sacrifice. Lord, that you're not going to receive my sacrifice. I bring a sacrifice and I lay it on the altar, yet inside of my heart I know there are hidden things. You don't receive my sacrifice when you know that there's hidden things. God, expose my sin. Expose what's going on inside of me. Cleanse me. Create in me a clean heart. Turn away from my sin. And then in verse 17... The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Father, this morning as we explore and embrace this passage, Lord, I pray first and foremost that you would hold the enemy at bay. In the places where the enemy would want to whisper lies this morning, places, Lord, where he would want to keep people bound up, and struggling, Lord, that you would hold him back. 
Jesus, we invite you to do a healing work in us. Holy Spirit, invade our reality today. And I pray that we would receive the fullness of what you want to speak to us this morning. Amen. There's five points I want to make straight out of this passage this morning in regards to brokenness. There's five things that we'll be talking about. They'll be up on the screen. Break me, O God. Break me. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. There's five things that brokenness does. First of all is this. Brokenness removes obstacles. Brokenness removes obstacles. See, David was living a lie. There was an obstacle that had established itself between David and God. And David, even though he was the king and even he was a, a man after God, God's own heart, and even though uh, he had accomplished mighty and incredible things for the Lord, at this point in time, something had established itself in David's life and prevented him from being able to fully worship God, to bring sacrifices because David knew. David knew what was going on inside of him. And when I say David thought he got away with it, it doesn't mean he was happy about it. He was tormented. He was struggling. And he wanted to be free of this thing. But how do you as the king stand up and go, hey guys, I just got to, I have to admit something. Where do you go? Who do you talk to? And so God in his mercy sends Nathan and Nathan confronts the sin. Brokenness will remove obstacles. It is like taking out a sledgehammer and you start taking down the walls. You start removing the things that stand in the way of God. what God wants to ultimately do in your life. You see, he's got this plan for your life. And he sees what you don't see. He sees the final result. He sees the end product. And he says, before we can get there, I need to take some stuff out. Brokenness removes obstacles, obstacles of this world, the passions and the desires for the things of this world that get in the way of our desire to live for God. Really anything, anything that stands in opposition to God's will for your life, anything, small or big, that comes in, finds a place in your heart, and stands in the way of God being able to accomplish what he wants to do in your life. And we don't always see it. Things, remember, we talked about the heart last week. We read that passage says that the heart is what? Deceitful and beyond cure. That your heart will lie to you given the opportunity. The heart wants what the heart wants. So that search me prayer starts with my heart. Search my heart, oh God. And when God, when you find stuff in my heart that doesn't belong, remove it, break it, demo, demo it, demolish, demo, demo, yeah. demolish it. Break me of my pride. Break me of the love of this world. Break me of my sin. Break me of myself. Scripture talks about the refining process of gold and silver and how God wants to refine us as he would gold and silver. See, I have, I have a ring, my wedding ring, 
and it's made out of gold. If you look on the inside, there's a number stamped in there. It says 14K. If you have a ring, it probably says the same thing. What that number says is it, 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 it's indicative of how refined this gold is. And gold goes through a refining process where essentially what happens is it's, it's crushed and placed in a cauldron where it is then heated to the point that it melts and then all of the impurities float to the top called dross and then they remove the dross from the top. And the more that you heat the gold, the more you melt it, the hotter it gets, the more purified it is. Same thing with silver. We read that verse, Psalm fifty-one, seventeen: a broken and contrite heart. Does anyone actually know what a contrite heart is? I, I, I really didn't. I'm like, oh Lord, a broken and contrite heart. God's like, you don't even know what that means. Lord, just give me a contrite heart. And he's like, <laughs> contrite is this, crushed. A contrite heart is one that has been completely crushed, obliterated, broken into tiny little pieces. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. What does that mean? When we come to God with a broken heart, with a crushed heart, with the bits and the pieces, and we say, Lord, here's my life, here's my heart, I am broken, I'm a broken person. He, he doesn't go, hey, listen, figure things out and then come back and see me. Pull yourself together. Listen, when you've got, when you've got some answers, listen, when you're a little bit less of a mess, you can, God says, no, no, it's in that state that he embraces us. It's in that state that he welcomes us. He says, I can work with this. I can work with this. And he begins a process removing the obstacles, the impurities, the things that stand in the way. So brokenness removes obstacles. The second thing is this. Brokenness aligns my will. Brokenness aligns my will. The question is this. Who's in control of your life? Any stubborn people in the room? Right. Some of you are like, I'm not sure. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm stubborn. <laughs> James is like, uh, two hands. <laughs> Bless you. So we can use the illustration of a horse or a two-year-old. <laughs> we'll go with the horse. A wild horse, what do they do? What do they call it when, it's ma- when they make it tame? They break it. You break a horse. You break its will, right? Because the horse is bigger than you, and it's more powerful than you, and it's faster than you, and if the horse knew what it was capable of, and it was smart enough to know that it was bigger and faster and stronger, you would lose. So what the trainer does is it breaks the will of the animal and brings it into submission to the rider, and it's, there's a whole process, and we won't get into that, but there's a process by which a horse goes from being a wild horse to being a broken and tame horse, a horse that then can be used for riding, for, for work, for what, whatever you want to do with your horse. There's a process that has to happen. You have to break its will. Brokenness will align our will. See, because my will wants to do what my will wants to do, right? Frank Sinatra I did it my way. 
not something to be proud of. I want at the end of my life to be able to say, I did it God's way. That Barry decreased and that God increased. That there was less of me and more of him. Because at the end of the day, God wants to conform me to the image of Jesus Christ. So that when people see me and people see you, what they should see is Jesus. See, but my will stands in opposition to that. Can I just tell you, even Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus himself prayed that prayer, Lord, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to die a painful death on the cross. But not my will, your will be done. That we have to bring our will under the authority and into alignment with God. And that happens in brokenness. It's a place where God can move. Romans chapter 12 Verse 1 and 2 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that, you, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If you want to know what God's will is, you have to lay your life on an altar, a sacrificial altar. You have to allow it to be put to death because that's what a sacrifice is. And when you give a sacrifice, David talked about that. I can't bring a sacrifice that's a partial sacrifice. God will just reject it. So if I'm bringing my life and I'm offering my life as a living sacrifice to him, what I'm saying is God Here's all of me. Every bit belongs to you. But that happens in brokenness. Jesus in the garden, sweating blood, in so much agony. Jesus did not skip to the cross. It was painful, and it was something that his flesh didn't want to do, but he aligned himself with the will of God. There are things in us, in our lives, in our, in our will, in our personality, in our experiences, in our expectations that will set themselves up and say, God, you can have 88% of me, but there's this one thing that's still mine. And God says, no, 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 that's a partial sacrifice, and I don't take partial sacrifices. He's Lord of all or not at all. Is Lord of all or not at all. And so we have to pray, God, break me. Break me of my will. I don't want to be like a two-year-old having a tantrum. We're just going, why God, why God, why God, why God, why God, why God? And, and, and he is gracious and he will answer, but at some point we have to go, God, I don't understand why, but I trust you. Why God, why God? God, you don't love me. God, you don't care. God, where's this? Where's that? Why, why, why? God says, no, no, no. Maturity, praise a prayer, says, break me. God, align me even when I don't understand. How many times in our lives, down the road when we look back, we're like, I didn't realize in the moment what God was doing, but now that some time has passed and healing has passed, I can look back and God knew exactly what needed to happen. God, align my will. Brokenness aligns my will. Third is this, broken 
brokenness connects my life. When you pray this prayer, break me, God will connect your life in two ways. There's sub points on this one. First of all, he connects you to himself. Brokenness connects me to God. Brokenness connects me to God. Because you need God when you're broken. Got to visit with a young man the other day who years and years and years ago was in our junior high youth group. He's walked a very hard road, has made a lot of really bad mistakes, and has found himself in a place now where the Lord has rescued him. He's in a, in a program that's um, putting him on the right road, and, and he is filled with the love of the Lord and filled with the word. We sat, Micah and Blake and I visited with him, and, and really for, for three hours, all that came out of him was the word. It's just the word. And I was just so proud of him and so powerful. But he mentioned this. He was sitting in a courtroom where he was looking at many, many years in jail. He went into that courtroom and he, his prayer was this, Lord, whatever, whatever you need to do, I'll do whatever you need me to do. Lord, would you intervene on my behalf? And so he walked in with this broken heart. The judge reviewed the case, and really the, 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 the short story is this. He got up and walked out a free man. Debt forgiven, no jail time. And the judge, just there was mercy that was given. But he said this to me. He goes, Barry, I walked out of that courtroom, and all of a sudden I needed God less than I did when I walked in. Because before I said, God, I would do anything. And literally he walked out of there, and he's like, you know all those commitments I made to the Lord? I'm, I'm good. And he's like, I didn't need God as much. He's like, you always need God more when you're in a broken place. Now, thankfully, he stopped himself and he said, no, I can't go back on what I committed. And so he followed through and he's in a great place because of, but I thought about that. How often we need God in a broken place. And then when things kind of turn around, we're like, okay, God, I'm good. See you later. I'll be back the next time things kind of fall apart. God's like, no, 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 that's not how I work. Brokenness will connect us to God, but we should stay connected even through the brokenness and beyond the brokenness. But brokenness will connect us to God because we need God in our brokenness. Job needed God in his brokenness. He cried out to the Lord, and his friends are going, hey, listen, man, God's turning his back on you. His own wife, hey, Job, just curse God and die. Let's get this done with. That's encouraging. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Put that in a card. Okay. But Job would not turn his back on the Lord. In fact, even he's commiserating, he's like, God, I don't see you in the midst of this, and this hurts, and then my body hurts, and my spirit hurts, and my emotion, and I've lost everything, but I will not turn my back on you. I need you. And on the other end of it, man, God was faithful. And he was able to see how close of a relationship. You can't take that away when you're connected to God in the midst of pain. That's a deep connect. And it's not something that will be removed from you very easily. And you've heard people share their testimony. I was walking through a valley. This happened. But man, God moved. And I cried out to God. And he moved on my behalf. And you can't look at them and go, well, that's a nice story. No, you don't understand. God changed my life. 
It's a deep connect. He connects us to himself, and it develops in us a dependency on him. Can I just tell you this morning, church, you need God. You need him more than you realize you need him. You need him in the areas where you think, hey, I've got this. I can take care. I'm not going to bother God with that. And he's going, bother me. Need me. Call on me. I want to be connected. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our, our confession. For we do not have a, a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Jesus walked through and dealt with the things that you walk through and that you deal with. That we don't have God, a God who is at a distance, but he is imminent and close to the point that scripture says that Jesus dealt with the same things that you deal with. And so you can relate to him. You can be close to him. You can feel that connection with him. Because there is none of this, oh, you're dealing with that. He says, no, I, I faced the same thing. Now Jesus stayed aligned to the will of God. And he didn't let anything become an obstacle, but he faced the same temptation. When we're connected to God in a way that we remember that he understands us, oh, it draws that connection even deeper. But it's not just the connection to God. The other place that we be, become connected is to connect, we get connected to others. Our brokenness will connect us to other people. Everyone experiences hurt. Everyone experiences pain. Everybody experiences rejection. Everyone. There is not a single person who's ever lived on this planet who has not walked through pain and hurt and rejection and brokenness. Everyone, even the most perfect person you can think of has walked through pain and brokenness. We can't get away from it. And the lie of the enemy is this. You're all alone. No one else is walking through this. Especially here, especially in church. We look around the room, oh, if I could only be like that person. Maybe someone's told you, only if you could be more like that person. We're all looking around going, that person's got to figure it out. Can I tell you, we're figuring it out, but no one here has got to figure it out. We're a work in progress, and the lie of the enemy will be, you're the only person in that church who's dealing with that issue, with that sin, with that point of brokenness. Can I tell you, it's a lie. It's not true. When I sit with, with men and we talk about what's hap <clears throat> excuse me, happening in their lives, and you realize, oh, wow, our stories are not that different from each other, and in our brokenness, we realize that we're connected to each other. And it draws a deeper connection. See, I can impress you with my strengths. You can look at the strengths in my life or the strengths in other people. Well, that person is just really a good public speaker. Well, that person, well, they're just a servant. That person has the gift of hospitality. We can impress people with our strengths. But it's in brokenness that we get connected to each other. We connect in our brokenness. We connect when we're weeping with each other. 
praying over the issues and the situations of our life? Why is life group so important? Because in this setting, you're all facing looking at me. In life group, you sit in a circle and you talk to each other. And you start realizing, wow, I didn't know that that person was dealing with that stuff. I got to have lunch with someone this week who just heard more of his story. I was like, oh my goodness, I had no idea. And can I tell you, I feel so much more connected to that individual who's in the room this morning, so I won't point him out. Thanks for lunch, it was great. But I didn't know. And to hear the testimony, the story, and not just the high points. Well, I came to Jesus when I was four years old, and I've never sinned ever since. No. In our brokenness, man, I love God, but I am having a hard time. And we connect. It's the way that God has designed us. You can impress people with your strengths, but when you allow yourself to be broken in front of people, you connect to them in a deeper way. See, I can be impressed from a distance, but I can only be connected to you intimately and closely. And brokenness will do that. I quote Romans, I mean, uh, Revelation 12 all the time. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Your story isn't just your story. This goes back. This is actually a message I preached a year ago. Your story isn't your story. It's God's story about you. And he will use your story to encourage other people. And your stories end up becoming inter intertwined with each other. Brokenness will connect us with others. Fourth thing is this. Brokenness shapes my life. Brokenness shapes my life. There is a godly design for your life. God knows what he's after. He's, like I said this already, he sees the end product. He's got the master plan, and he's like, okay, it's supposed to be like this. Your life should look like this, and these components, and this stuff here and there, and this is what it should look like. And ultimately, like Romans 8 says, that we're, be that we're being conformed to the image of Jesus. But there is a unique design that God has for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. Plans. Like a master blueprint, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And they're good plans to give you a hope and a future and to prosper you and to be a blessing to you. I know the plans I have for you. But we get off track and the house starts looking a little funky. There's places in Alaska outside of the city where you can go and there's no building code. And you'll see houses out there that you're like, what was happening? What, like, hey, we're going to build this, and then we're going to add this, and then, then there's this piece, and then there's this. And it looks like something out of Dr. Seuss. Because you're just going, it didn't, we didn't think about the end result. And so it's just kind of piecemealed. That our lives can be like that. God, I know you have this plan, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do this little addition here without your approval. And God's like, well, that's going to be right in the way of where I want to do that major renovation. Yeah, but God, I really want this. God's like, no, 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 no. I have a plan. And so he wants to shape our lives, and he uses brokenness to do that. See, Jeremiah 18, verse 1 through 4 says this. 
a word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my word. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel. Listen to this. As it seemed good to the potter to do. So there's the wheel, and the potter's there, and he's making this this vase or jar or whatever he's making, and at some point, one of the sides collapses in, and it's like, oh, that didn't go the way I wanted it to do. You know what he does? He breaks the vessel. He mashes it back down into a lump of clay, and he starts over, and he fashions it into what he wants it to be. And at no point does the clay go, whoa, hold on a minute, that's not what I want to be. Why are you... No, 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 no. The clay allows the potter to do what the potter needs to do to produce what the potter needs to produce for the purposes and the design and the intent that the potter had in mind. According to what the potter seems good, seemed good to the potter to do. How many times do we take control and we try and shape our lives. And God's like, no, I'm trying to do something here. I'm trying to shape something. And, and we, we step in and go, no, I, that doesn't feel good. I'm just going to hop off the wheel for a while. God's like, okay, then let's just wait till you come back. Until you're ready to be broken again. So I can do in you what I need to do. Your values will be born out of your experience. Your values will be birthed out of your brokenness. And those places, those things that we don't want to walk through, we're like, God, that's hard. And he's like, yeah, I know. But I'm doing something in you that down the road you will see the value of. Megan and I have personal values, things that we value as a couple, things that we value as a family, things that we value in ministry. And by, in large part, those things have been birthed out of our own experience. Things that we've walked through, brokenness that we've experienced. There's things that are just non-negotiables for us. Because God has shaped it into our lives and into our marriage and into our family and into our ministry. And I'll tell you, you're on the receiving end of some of that. That God has brought us to this place because it's a part of his fashioning work. What he's making and what he's doing in us will affect what he's doing in you and vice versa. And it's an amazing thing to see play out. But we have to submit ourselves and say, God, shape my life the way you want to shape my life, not the way I want to shape my life. And God, if that means I've gotten this far down the road, and I think I've got it pretty well made, but it doesn't line up with what you have for me, would you break me and start over? But I'm 45, I'm 50 years old. God just doesn't look at age the same way. He doesn't look at age the same way. I've got to, have some, got to have some great conversations with people over the last couple of months, people whose lives have been following a certain trajectory career-wise and, and, and just decisions that have brought them to a point and realize, well, this is, this is it. And we resign ourselves to being a pitcher when God says, I called you to be a vase. Oh, a pitcher's good. You can still kind of do this. No, it's not the same thing. And God says, I will interrupt your life if you allow me to, and I will shape in you what I want to do. Some of the greatest preachers that have lived, 
didn't start preaching when they were young. It was later in life where God got a hold of them and said, okay, you're, are you ready to stop doing what you want to do and start doing what I'm calling you to do? And that moment where we say, yes, Lord, shape me according to your will and not according to mine, whatever seems good to you, do that. Man, things start making sense. We can look at our lives and go, oh, I didn't realize that what, that's what God was doing. But look how he shaped me and my circumstances and even where I live and the street that I live in, on the house that I, and the place that I work. Look what God has done. Look how he shaped this. But it starts with us praying, break me, Lord, and shape my life. And finally, this morning, brokenness prepares our hearts. Brokenness prepares our hearts. See, like in the remodel, you come in with the sledgehammers and you bust things down and you get the wire cutters and you cut stuff out and get the shovels and you shovel things into trash cans and you get the, the brooms and the... And, in the dust pans and you clean it up and then you bust out the shop vac and you clean and you prepare and then when everything's ready then you start the rebuilding process brokenness prepares our hearts once God's had the opportunity to do some demolition work he says okay now let me start building into you and preparing your heart for the ministry I've called you to for the work that I've called you to see because you're all ministers Ephesians 4 says that the work, the fivefold the, the, the five uh, ministry, the work of the evangelists, the pastors, the, the shepherds, the teachers, my job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. My job is to prepare you, help prepare you for your ministry. You have a ministry. That God has designed his church to be a place of preparation so that you're ready to go out and do the ministry that God's called you to. But it has to start inside first. Brokenness prepares our hearts for the work that he's called us to. Not only that, your most effective ministry, your most effective ministry will often come right out of your deepest hurt. Your most effective ministry will often flow right out of the place of your deepest hurt. See, because if God has brought healing, if he's broken things and restored them, you have a testimony. And we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And your testimony is powerful. And God has shaped that testimony and built that into you and made that a part of your life and a part of your heart so that others might benefit. So the best books that I read aren't people who went to college, got a degree, got their master's, got a doctorate, sat in an ivory tower and then postulated about things like, well, this sounds like a good idea. My favorite books are the people who said, this is what I walked through. And my life was a mess and my marriage was a mess and things were falling apart and I was beyond hope. But then God stepped in and this is what happened. I love that. And you love it too because we see it in the movies. That's how we tell stories. Hollywood does it that way. Without even realizing, they're just copying God's model. Hey, here's something that was lost, and now it's found, and now it's redeemed, and now it's broken, now it's reshaped, and now it's being used for my glory, and now there's victory and a testimony. Woohoo! And other people are impacted. Brokenness will prepare your heart for the work that God has called you to if you let it.
See, because I see too many believers, too many Christians walking around going, why did God let that happen to me? 30 years ago, this thing happened. That person looked at me in a weird way at church, and it just, like, whoa. It's a silly example, but there's all kinds of things we could fill in there, right? And sometimes the silly things are the thing that trip us the most. God says, listen, if you had chosen in that moment to move in an opposite spirit, to love someone who was really in a hurting place, and they hurt you out of their hurt, and instead of letting it take root and bitterness take place in your life, Lord, break me of my bitterness. You've lived 30 years now resenting that moment where God let you get hurt. He's like, no, no, no. I was shaping you, and I was preparing your heart. You have to allow God to do that work. He won't force it on you. The man and the woman and the child that would come to God and say, Lord, break me. Break me, God. And prepare me so I can do the work that you've called me to. God's like, yeah, I can work with that. And not only can he, he will. It's his desire. It's what he wants to do. But it starts in a place of brokenness. We stand together this morning. There may be big things in your life. There may be little things. There may be things you don't even know about. This is not a prayer to pray lightly. It's not a prayer to say again on your way to work in the morning in the car, oh, hey, God, would you just break me? It's a prayer to pray when you're alone and you've got a moment to think about what you're saying. Maybe it's a place where you need to be specific. God, would you break this? God, would you break that? God, would you remove this attitude? Would you remove this sin? Would you remove this desire? Lord, would you break that? Lord, would you break my will because I love you, but I just keep doing the things I want to do? Paul struggled with that. Why do I keep doing the things I want to do and not the things God wants me to do? Because the things that God wants me to do are more important than the things I want to do, but I still do the things I want to do. God, I'm wretched. Break me. Maybe that's what your prayer needs to be. Maybe you're in a place where your brokenness has taken place on the inside, but you've not taken the time to sit with someone else and say, this is where I'm at. Would you pray with me? Would you agree with me? James says that if anyone's caught in sin, what should we do? We should pray. We should confess to someone who's safe and pray. And what will God do? He will bring healing. It's a dangerous prayer. But church, can I tell you that the people of God who pray this prayer, watch out. God will do amazing things. I'm going to bow our heads. Jesus was broken for us. He went to the cross and he suffered a painful death and his body was broken for us. He was broken so that we may be whole. And you can't pray this prayer until you've prayed another prayer first. And that's a prayer that would say, Jesus, come in and become Lord of my life. I surrender my life to you. You can't pray the prayer of breaking 
until you've offered your life to him and received him as your Lord and Savior. So I want to give you an opportunity this morning. I, I know most of you, many of you, but I don't ever want to assume. I want to give the opportunity this morning. If you've never said yes to Jesus and invited him to come and be the Lord of your life, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. No one's looking around. All heads are bowed and eyes are closed. It's in between you and the Lord, and, and I want to agree with you this morning. But if you would say yes to the Lord this morning, would you raise your hand? Would you slip it up? Thank you. I see that hand. Praise the Lord. Anyone else this morning who would say yes, I want to commit my life to Jesus today. Thank you. Let's pray this prayer together. Father God, Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you came, that you died, that you rose again, that I could have new life. I receive you as my savior, and I commit to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Bible says, can we just give the Lord a clap offering right now? Just praise. The Bible says that when one person gives their life to the Lord, that all of heaven rejoices. One person raised their hand this morning, and that means that heaven is rejoicing. We rejoice along with that individual this morning. Our prayer team is going to be available. Um, they'll be available in the back through, through these next two songs as we sing. If you... Feel the Lord impressing on you, the Spirit of God moving on you to step out in boldness and go and pray with someone this morning. Do that. There's a prayer of breaking that you need to pray. Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. This is a safe place. This is the best place to pray that. We can agree with you. I'm going to pray over us, and, and we're going to go to worship. Our, our offering, our ushers will be coming forward to, receiving, to receive the offering during our last song. And during the second song here in a few minutes. So when you see them moving around, that's what's going on. Can I just pray over you this morning, Father God? I pray over the broken places in our lives. Lord, those things that are already broken and those things that need to be broken. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do a deep work in us. We don't want to be the same. We want to be transformed and conformed to the image of Jesus. So, Lord, would you remove anything that stands in the way of that happening? Would you align our will to you? Would you connect us with you and with each other? Lord, would you shape our lives and prepare our hearts for all that you have? And we will give you the glory for it in Jesus' name.